why would I want to come on your police department if I don't see anybody that's wearing the chevrons or the bars or the eagles or whatever the department has that look like me, you know? Or how can you understand my culture if you have not lived in my shoes? You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. Oh, how you doing, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the Black and Blue Podcast. I appreciate all of you for joining me for this episode here. Uh, you know, I like to have a lot of people on the show, whether they're male, female, black, white, Asian, what have you. That's what Black and Blue is about, diversity in law enforcement. Today, I've got a retired captain from the Metro D.C. Police Department. She served 27 years there, 27 years. That's right. Everybody, please help me welcome in Pamela Burkett Jones. How you doing, ma'am? Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Excellent. It's great to be here. Yeah. So how's things going on out there? Everything's wonderful, of course, you know, with all that's going on and, you know, with the two pandemics that's going, you know, it's kind of like uncomfortable, just probably like it is all over the country and the world as we see. But um, everything, you know, maintaining and holding, holding steady and having been sick. And, but, uh, you know, I feel for my brothers and sisters in blue of all, you know, the emotions that are going on right now with them. You yeah. know, whether, you know, some of them are feeling, you know, um, you know, I've talked to quite a few of them. And, of course, I stay connected with them on social media. And things just are not looking bright for them right now as far as the, their career choice and the way they're being treated. So, I really, you know, pray and keep them uplifted as much as I can. Yeah. So we're talking about in particular, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure it, um, we all kind of gathered the, the defunding the police movement and all that that's going on uh, after the aftermath of the uh, George Floyd case. So that's what we're talking about, you know, um, a lot of negativity with police going on right now. Uh, Atlanta, you know, Atlanta went down uh, last week or so. And now the uh, those two officers were charged. So a lot of stuff going on with law enforcement right now. It's, it's really, really troubling. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get through it unscathed uh, as <laughs> as much as we can. But, uh, yeah, it's really trying right now. Definitely. So you did uh, 27 years all with uh, Metro D.C. Um, How did you like that? What What was that career like for you? It was great. You know, with D.C., Washington, D.C., it's a, a diverse um, city. Um, at the time I came on, the city was all black, um, you know, a little bit percentage of white in the city. And then as it, it changed, the demographics changed throughout my years. But however, what I loved about the Metropolitan Police Department was you can actually get around. You can move like on certain departments where you can only be in patrol and it took a while for the investigative unit or any other units, the uh, 
horse mounting, whatever you can think of, special operation. It took a while to get into those units. But with D.C., you could kind of diversify your career a little bit more. You move around. So it, it allowed me to really do a lot of different things. And everything that I came on the department to do, I was able to do it. You know, I was able to – I came on to be an investigator, and I pretty much did that for 20 some of my career – 20 for 20 years of my career nice. as detective, sergeant, lieutenant, and, you know, a captain. It was a little bit different, but I really got into different units and homicide, sexual assaults. Uh, child abuse, uh, sexual child abuse, physical child abuse. I mean, you name it. It was nothing that I didn't investigate it besides probably financial crimes. That was the only thing. But everything that somebody commit and we could do an investigation with, I was part of it. And I was able to even um, come to a point where I did a uh, promotion process. So I was actually the first, the go-to person to actually do the promotion process as far as getting the test together, the subject expert witness, and, I mean, subject expert matter person. And I went through that process. And of course, then they had me to go back and train. So I did a lot of time over in a training investigation. So out of whole, I want to say I trained at least 100 um, investigators to be detective. And some of those guys now are homicide detectives, their officials and sergeants and everything else. So I did do a full gamut in my career. Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like it. How long ago did you retire? Uh, right now, it's two and a half years ago now. I've been oh. retired. Okay. What was, uh, you said you, you uh, were an investigator for, you know, a long period of your career. What was your favorite uh, assignment as an investigator? Sexual assault. Sexual assault was my favorite assignment. I was a sexual assault detective sexual assault sergeant and lieutenant as well. And I ran a detective, ran that unit and the sexual assault unit for Washington, D.C. for at least, I want to say I did it for eight years. Yeah. 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 That's a tough assignment. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that and, and child crimes. You know, yes. those, those Those are tough, tough assignments, but they need someone, they need someone to advocate for them. And, and that's what those detectives do. So appreciate yes. that. I'm sure the citizens of D.C., you know, they appreciated that. Yes, definitely. And I enjoyed it. Enjoyed it doing yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you left, how large was the the police department there? How many swarms? When I left, it was 4,100. 4,100. Yeah. They were 38 for a long time. And then I think they went up to try to get to 4,200. And then after a while, they, you know, they started getting people because the turnaround rate was that you had people just going in, you know, uh, college student. Because with D.C., you have to have 60 college credits. So it kind of knocked a lot of people out of being able to go on. So a lot of college students, they would come on, you know, get the experience because, of course, in Washington, D.C., you got Capitol Police. You have so many other different things. You got Secret Service, FBI. It's just a whole lot of different jurisdiction, park police there. So some will come over, get the experience, and then they will move on to where they want. And, it's, of course, some will come from the military and they will bring their experience there, get a few, and then they will go back home to where they came from. And it was, of course, who, you know, if you're in Idaho somewhere and they hear that you came from a major city police department, hey, we want you, you know, yeah. we want you to come on back. You know, you got all that experience. That's less training that we have to do because, of course, D.C., deal with protests, you know, they deal with, you know, presidential, we work with the presidential, we deal with 
uh, holidays, 4th of July, everything else. So you get a lot of experience being in a major city department and especially in Washington, D.C. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And you said uh, for a while D.C. was, you know, uh, uh, largely black. What about mm-hmm. the department when you left? How, how was the diversity there? The department when I left, it was, no, you know, it dwindled. It, it dwindled uh, the numbers went down. It became mostly white when I left. Um, and in the official, the, the chain of command, of course, is mostly white. You know, when you did the promotion list, a lot of the uh, white male was at the top of the list. And not a, uh, not a lot of um, the blacks were making, either they didn't make the cut or when they made the list, they were at the bottom. So that was a big problem at that time. And even when we got to the investigators uh, list, that changed as well. That started to change a lot. You saw a lot more um, color start to dwindle down and it was not equal at all. Yeah. So that turned into some sort of a uh, passion for you. To, uh, yeah, sure. Can, it did. Can you tell it sure us about did. that? Yeah. What happened was when I started, I, I went for captain and I, matter of fact, I had to go for captain like three times. I would, uh, Charles Ramsey, he was our chief. And what happened was an election year came. I was actually number two to be promoted on the list. And election time came. We got a new mayor, and Charles Ramsey actually left in the mayor because the mayor wanted Kathy Lanier. So Kathy Lanier decided that she wanted to do a new list, so I died number two on that list. The next list, I ended up um, not doing so well, but I did. I always made the cut. I always knew I was a good test taker, was at the top. When it came to um, taking the test, I was at the top of the list after the cut. But when the assessment came through, uh, you know, I, I didn't make so much uh, at the top of the list. I, I fell down a little bit. And what happened was when I was called in to do the investigator process, boom, the light bulb came on. And I really learned that process in and out. It was like, oh, so this is how you really do it. So when it was time for me to take the test the next time, I was able to make the top of the list and I made number one captain at that time. And so it basically put, you know, a new thing. And I was like, well, you know what? I want to be able to help a lot of people who are struggling making that cut, you know, because like I said, the testing, doing the written part was no problem. I always could do that. But the assessment, so once I learned assessment, I was able to do that. And then when I retired, I did an assessment class and I ended up getting some good, you know, candidates, some some guys make number two and half of my people that I've helped, they're promoted now, you know, and they nice. were all of, you know, color, of, yeah. you know, black. Is that black. something, yeah. Is that just something you do on the side to, to help out, you know, people that you knew over there or, or are you kind of like contracting out and, and helping people with different departments yeah, I'm contracting out now. I actually that's what I, I went into business to do now. I'm actually helping people with career strategy changes. You know, once they decide that, hey, I want to retire, or hey, this is just not for me anymore, or I want to do something else, I help them with that, get their mind, you know, just coach them along with that, and hey, let's see what you can do. What other skills you have, transferable skills, because I also did an administrator, and I actually have. Uh, two masters. I have one in security management and the other one in human resources. So I'm doing a lot of the career strategy. And then my second piece of it is I'm working with them through leadership uh, coaching and promotional the, in the promotional process. And I work with them from the beginning. And actually, I and I'm, I love it now because I got two Hispanic um, 
clients that came on and they haven't even announced the test yet, but they came on early because they're trying to actually also make it as well and come on up the list. So it's, and I know as soon as the uh, test is announced, I'll have, have a lot more people who want to come on, but because they understand my history and they know where I came from. So that's become a passion for me to help and, and also encourage them. Hey, can encourage other officers, you know, that are a minority, take the test. Try it, study for it, put your all in all because it helps you out in the long run because eventually you know your most departments, I know with DC, your percentage of your salary, your last three salaries is factored into your retirement. So that means if the further you go up, that's the more salary you have. And versus, you know, you staying as officer or as a sergeant and other people say, oh, I'm more comfortable or I feel, I, I, you know, I don't want to supervise anybody. I don't want to, but then you allow someone to supervise you where, you know, you can run circles around, them. you know, you could do their job. So you, you, you got 15 years on and your sergeant or your lieutenant has seven and you know the job in and out. You can do this thing. So don't fall back and don't feel comfortable because it helps your family in the long run and also helps you in the long run. So I try to encourage my, my brothers and sisters in blue to, you know, go ahead on and take that test. And then of course I've worked with another agency um, where I live, where is actually the the demographics of the citizens are African-American or another color, but their police department is not, matching what the what the citizens are. So why would you want to try to get recruit minorities if they don't see anyone in the ranking field that looks like them? So why would I want to come on your police department if I don't see anybody that's wearing the Chevrons or the Bars or the Eagles or whatever the department has that look like me? You know? Right. Or how can you understand my culture if you have not lived in my shoes? So, and that's something I think, and I think with the, I don't know if it's media or, you know, the betrays, but I'm also a professor at a college and a lot of my students are of color. You know, I have two students of colors and I have classes that's full. I'm going to be doing, starting a criminal law class in a couple of weeks. I have 18 students in that class. So that's not, that's telling me that everybody's not shying away from criminal justice or law enforcement. You know, there's a breakdown somewhere right. in the system. They're right. going to get those degrees or they're taking classes to get those degrees. So, yeah. But I think what happens is when they start really looking at the makeup of some of the departments and they look at the officials, they kind of shy away and they don't see a lot of um, people of color, you know, right. being supervisor or they see no potential of what I can do besides go and run calls or, or whatever else. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So that that comes down to mentorship within the department. Was there? Uh, it sounds like there wasn't much of that for you uh, when you were there uh, working full time. Was was there any mentorship? Anyone kind of pulling you along? No, not at no. all, not at all. And um, when I first came on, you had the old school, as we call them, the old school guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you had someone that may, you know, they're getting ready to walk out, but they were more of it. But when the generation changed. As the supervisor and the people who mentor to, I always say to the Gen Xers, 
which is us, and the why came a little later. Everybody was just worrying about themselves. Nobody wanted to, you know, pull anybody along. I saw that more when I was a young officer with the older gentlemen and ladies. They did that. But no, I didn't know there was not there. Yeah, that that's sad. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you know, it is it is what it is. So then that's why you try to, you know, break that cycle and do a little bit of it yourself. So, mm-hmm. you know, commend you on that. You said you uh, you're you've got a couple masters. Um do you kinda uh, help people along and, and let them know that, yeah, you got to get your education. Uh, just the 60 units isn't, isn't enough. You really, if you want to be competitive, you need to go get that bachelor's, go ahead, get that master's, go get that PhD if need be. It sure, I sure do. I actually have a, a client that I work with with leadership um, that's on right now. And basically when they start coaching, I was like, if you want to move past and that person's a, you know, a captain, they've moved up now, but if you want to actually go when you in the rank and file, as far as the command staff, go get your degree and make sure you just pat yourself up so that in your portfolio and you're right. And of course it's going to help you leave an department with the education and plus the training and everything else. And I had one person who actually put that in and I, one of the old school guys that did that as far as with me and one of his advice that I always say, that was the best advice I ever got being on the police department. He sent me and said, every two and a half years, do something different. Never stay in, you know, like when I was in investigations, he actually pulled me in down. He said, okay, now you're doing uh, property crimes and you're doing major assaults, but uh, we want you to go over to, and that's how I end up getting over to child abuse, sexual and sexual child abuse, because he's like, you were a sexual investigator, sexual abuse investigator. Now they need a sexual abuse sergeant to go over and help and teach and, and train the new investigators come in. And I was like, well, I don't know if I want to, I kind of like, I'm comfortable. I like, you know, going to the shootings or, or going to the robberies and everything and supervising over here. And he was like, no, this is what you do. Every two and a half years, you pick up and go somewhere else. Never get comfortable. And that was the best advice I gave. It was given because each time I moved, each time I got to that two and a half, two year, two year mark, I was looking for my next. Mm-hmm. You know, even if I liked it, if it, even if I liked my people, I was always looking for my next to go to somewhere else. And what it did was it just stacked me up for more. And that's why they called me in to do the subject expert, which eventually got me over to really catapult higher to, on that list and get past the assessment because now you got all this skill we want. And then they can show me to learn the process. So it was even a bigger picture of me doing that two and a half years than just saying, and now even when I put my resume out there to other people, when I was actually job hunting before I retired, they saw my resume and was like, wow, you did this and you did that. Mm-hmm. You did this. And they just couldn't believe it, you know, versus that, Hey, you got that patrol officer, you know, you were sworn officer, but when you dig down and start looking at the things that I've able to accomplish, it was because of that advice I was given to an, or just to move around two and a half years. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of focusing on promotion, but do you do much of, uh, you know, people trying to get in law enforcement? I know we're trying to recruit, you know, more minorities into the profession. Do you see a lot of, uh, 
prospective uh, clients coming in to say, you know, I want to be a police officer. How, how do I get there? No, you know, the only time I've actually, I have not looked into that yet or really um, focused, zoned in on that piece yet. And it's something really, I think, with the police reform um, that probably could come out, you know, mm-hmm. and that's something that they should be talking about. I know they keep talking about training, but they need to do something else to try to get my more minorities attracted to the positions. I do get a lot of uh, my students after class may come up and ask me those questions about, Mm -hmm. can I do this or that? Can I do that? But no, I have not really. um, And I give them advice and I tell them what to do. And I may say, okay, you want to, you know, look at this department, look at that. And, you know, but I don't really um, do that part, you know, do anything past that. Yeah. Okay. Making sure that the uh, nowadays you're not saying, Hey, maybe you want to go do something else. (laughs) No, I don't. Yeah, okay. I always just, my thing I do always say, and I do, I say this now to, and I want to say this as well to the brothers and sisters that are in blue and they're going through these trying times. I always, I do always tell them, remember your why. And that's important. Why do you want to be a police officer? Do you want to say, oh, they have a good pension at the end. I hear my, my uncle who, who retired from the police department and mm-hmm. now he's, you know, he's living like a fat rat and he can, if that's your why to come on, no, don't do it. But I don't tell them. I said, just remember your why. So I don't ask them what their why is. I just say, you remember your why. Now, if someone wants to have a conversation and talk about their why, we can talk about it. But your why is you. It's, which is your decision and it's up to you. But let it be some reason that you want to come on that will make sense and not something that really is far-fetched of what you think. Oh, you know, I want to come on because I hear they get uh, free coffee at 7-Eleven or at the convenience shop or yeah. they, they get discounts when, you know, you know, mm-hmm. coming in when they, you know, go into certain agencies. No, we're not. You know, those are not good whys. Now, if you want to help people, if you want to make a difference, you know, if you want to, and those are some really, really good whys. Those examples, but every, the whys, you know, can vary. Yep. That's what the public, the public at large needs to hear that because with all this going on nowadays, they need to know that, you know, 99.9% of us, that's why we're here. You know, we mm-hmm. want to help people. So mm-hmm. uh, they just got to realize that. And, and at some point they will, like I said earlier, you know, we'll, we'll get through this right now. It's just a real tumultuous time. And uh, things will die down and, you know, we'll, we'll all realize what uh, each of us has to bring to the table and, and, and we'll get there. We'll definitely yes. get there. Yes. Um, you know, you being a female in this male dominated profession, how was that experience for you uh, in your in your long career? You know what? It was it was kind of tough. You know, it was tough. Um, needless to say, uh, you 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 kind of got it on all ends for, you know, as a female. And unfortunately, you know, I have to be transparent and be truthful. Uh, You got it on your peers and you got it from your supervisors and you got it from the streets, too. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I know when I first came on, I was at the what was the first district. And with the first district, it was a great district because you had everything. You had the hood. You mean you had areas where. Crime was very high. I'll say it like that. 
And then you had areas where you residential areas where, you know, it was not so, you know, it was it was just a medium to crime wasn't bad. And then we had downtown areas. So that area where I first started covered where the capital is. And it also covered um areas where low income housing were. Mm-hmm. And it also covered areas where people were paid that paid like you know, back, you know, they pay a million dollars. Now those houses are worth a million dollars, but you know, back then they were still were great. So you had, um, different areas. Then you had areas where your senators live. So of course, you know, it was political, you know, they wanted special treatment. And of course, some of the officials at back then would do. So I was able to get a full gamut of different things. And I, like, and I said, um, some of the, some of the people, they respect you as a female, as far as the, as a um as a citizen and some didn't you know some of them wanted to try you and then of course some of your peers as females then you have to females of course hey you know they're looking to date you or they're saying that you're you you know we don't want to work with a female because you're a female i'm not sure if it's still going on today but you know when i was a supervisor before i retired i didn't hear as much from the troop as I heard when I first came on and then what I experienced myself and then the, the supervisors, they will give the females some assignments that they would, you know, that they wouldn't give the males, right. You know, some supervisors, you know, they were old school, as we say, they would say, Hey, um, you're a female. So I want you to go sit on this prisoner and go to the hospital. Oh, they'll give you something. And you kind of had to prove yourself. And I had to prove myself that I can, you know, run with the best. So I did, you know, of course, and I saw it different, but then I saw some of my other female partners or female officers where they just gave them the little, you know, petty assignments or they talked to them different ways. So yes, it was, it was kind of tough coming up. And as a younger officer, and as I started moving up the ranks, then it became almost a crab in the barrel theory because of course, yeah, of course it's more females. I'm sorry. It's more males and less females as supervisors. So everybody was trying to get, so they would, you know, everybody was trying to get promoted or be seen or whatever else. So they would try to pull the others down to say, look at me or, you know, mm-hmm. such and such. So I just, I mean, I experienced a lot as a female on its own. So it is difficult. Yeah. You know? what, what, what brought you into the profession to begin with? Well, what brought me into the profession, profession is, I, I, you know, resilience. Um, I had a dad that um, had a terrible accident uh, while working on our house, our family house, and it ended up causing him to be blind. But what dad did, it didn't stop him from still being a man and taking care of his kids and, and utilizing what he had. And he showed that anything, you know, something, whatever could happen, you can bounce back up you know a lot of things can happen to you but it's up to you to bounce back up if you want to sit and you know why don't say what was me and not do but so I saw my dad do a lot of things that unfortunately a lot of some men don't step up and they can you know they can see they got all that but dad was able to really really utilize his um you know utilize his capital whatever he had and and, and still take care of his family and raise his kids so that showed me that even though dad didn't have his eyesight anymore, he had, um, he still had his vision for his family. And so that, sh- that told me that, Hey, if he can do that, 
anything someone if somebody's on drugs if somebody's you know um being assaulted or or, or or went through something or a car accident, they can get up and say, I always wanted to help people. I want to help people to see that you're you're not your circumstances. You can rise above your circumstances. So my goal was to be a social worker. Okay. I wanted to be a social worker right out of out of high school. I was so I wanted to go into college and and I got accepted into college. But what happened was right before it was time, so we graduate in May, in, in May, June. So the college acceptance letter and everything, and then they send this one bill and say, you guys owe 2000 mm. So my dad was like, well, I'm already taking care of the family, with, you know, with my disability and this and that. So I can't, you know, give you, you know, that. So what ended up happening was he told me to go get a good government job. And what I end up doing is right away, I drove, I was supposed to move into college, my dorm in August and come to July, I was out looking for the job because I knew he wasn't budging and, and it was just too much for me to ask to go for him to pay and use his money where he had other children to take care. So I long story, short, short story, long. so I went and I was able to my first interview and it was with the Secret Service. Oh, nice. uh-huh. Uh-huh. And my first interview I went to, they hired me on the spot. So I worked, started working with the Secret Service, but I was still going to school part-time. So I started off at the community college. But I was still determined I was going to that four-year school that I was accepted anyway. So as I was going to, going to school and working, I started to become really good friends with the agents and, and I was working alongside with them. And I was like, oh, wow, this investigator stuff is pretty neat. And then I can investigate. I can investigate people who are involved in sexual crimes or, or homicide or whatever. And so I, I like that. And with Secret Service, they, you know, they, they didn't do that there. And I had a friend that actually went on the Metropolitan Police Department. And they say, hey, look, you don't need a degree to come over here. You can just come over here, you do patrol for a minute, and then you can get your way. You know, you, eventually you can work your way over to become an investigator. I was like, cool. So I go back to my agency after I take the test one Saturday morning, police test them saying, hey, look, I passed the test and I'm going to um, be a police officer. And the agents was like, no, you can stay here. We will accommodate you. You can go to school in the in the day to in the morning and come to work afterwards, or you can come in early and get off at three or two thirty, three o'clock, and you can go to school there. And I was like, "But that's going to take me forever mm-hmm. to do it with a full time job." And go. so I eventually went on over to the police department, and of course, and that was it. And so that's how I got there, and I I fell in love with um, law enforcement. When I was working for one of the oldest law enforcement agencies in, you know, the country. So go. that's yeah. how I got there. The rest mm-hmm. is history. Yeah. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're originally from D.C., huh? Um, yeah, I'm from Maryland. But yeah, but then I only live like 40, 40 minutes outside of D.C. Yes. How, so I'm how, originally from this area. How do your uh, family and friends feel about you going into law enforcement? Oh, wow. You know, I got a lot of backlash. Yeah, I, you know, I got a lot of backlash from everybody. Even dad gave me backlash. Like, wow, well, you sure you want to do that? Stay over here. And, you know, and I was like, well, hey, that's you guys. This is where, you know, my life. And I, I had the passion for helping people. And I knew that that was never going to go away. Um, 
the social work, you know, and it is, it's, it's funny that I wanted to be a social worker and then I end up going over to the child abuse um, section where you dealt with a lot of social workers. And I watched them work drooling hours. They were underpaid. And I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. I said it all came around in full circle. So I was like, wow. And they were, oh, they were underpaid. They were tired. And a lot of them were, you know, weren't happy, you know, because of the way the circumstances. And I was like, okay, well, yeah. I was like, I'm in the right field. This yeah. is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. This is actually where I'm supposed to be. It's ironic with all this, uh, you know, defunding the police stuff going on. They're talking about, you know, sending social workers out to all these calls that usually the police get called out for, you know, these supposedly nonviolent calls, you know, mm-hmm. with the homeless and mentally ill and all that. But, you know, I don't know, you know, sending the social worker out to a, you know, naked man running around with a, with a samurai sword. I, you know, exactly. Hey, <laughs> go ahead. If, if they want to handle that, go ahead. Right. Exactly. And you know, yeah. when I see that um, twofold and, and, the, and I keep referring back to the child abuse section when I worked in, because I see that where when I first got over there and I was a sergeant by then, but my detectives would have to sit at the house. You know, they were, they were called for, you know, maybe a teacher was sending a complaint that a, a child was being abused. So when a detective caught up with a child, of course they were at home by that time because the teacher was sent it in. And um, sometimes they would be able to get it exactly where the kid was at school, but majority of the time the child was at home. So they were called the police first. The police got there and they were called a social work. Then the social work get there. And sometimes they would get there together. So eventually when I first got there, the police would get there first and they would call the social worker. And then it was a team where both of them got there at the same time, but they would have the police still sit there, you know, with, you know, making sure the parent don't try to jump on the social worker and say, no, you're not taking my child or whatever. And then they got to a point where the police would still have to go with them to the hospital and sit around as the child being treated. And then the social worker eventually take them on with them and they would go to either foster care or find suitable home for them until they can get everything situated. So the police did a whole lot. They've changed it from then in the, in the late nineties and it's changed a lot, but they still haven't got to where they need to be with that. But the police no longer have to sit around at the hospital. They no longer have to, you know, stay and let's make sure if nothing's nobody's in danger, then that's it. And like you said, with the naked man who's high on PCP (sighs) and everything else, the mental health wise. Yeah. Of course you're going to need the police for that. But yeah, some things that they can do without the police being there. And it's, and it's a good thing for, you know, some of the changes that they want to do is good for the police. Yeah. But they really have to really think some of this stuff through and putting the social worker in the car with the police and riding around with them. That's and you and I both know that's a no go. Yeah. You know, there's some departments, I think uh, LAPD um, does that, you know, we kind of do that some in in our area, you know, a lot of departments out here kind of have teams like that. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not on every patrol team. It's like a special, a special team that does that. But yeah, there some, some places are doing that, you know, uh, now, let me ask you a question. Are they in unmarked cars or in their marked cars? They're still marked cars, yep. Wow, okay. Yeah. 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 With marked cars and, I- and, and, and uniform, you know. Um, my department, we have uh, uh, mental, you know, social workers that come out after we call them, but they're, they're actually housed 
in our department and, you know, they have a radio and a call sign. And, you know, once we stabilize the situation, you know, we'll call them out. Uh, they work for the county, these social workers. Mm-hmm. So, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and they'll come out and, you know, because we got a lot of homeless. I'm sure you do in D.C. Yes. Uh, out here in, out here in SoCal. So uh, they got it. You know, they come out and, and deal with the services, you know, give them services and resources and all that type of stuff. So, yeah. They're out here. They're working already. And I can see, and I can see that happening. And they have, the, if they have their own cars and come out, and you guys call them, and you need them, you, you defuse the situation. Yeah, that could happen. But having them to ride around in a car, and of course, people don't see. Okay, you got a civilian in the car with you, and if you run across something, you're yep. gonna have to take action. Yep. And that's the liability. Yeah, yeah. We got to look at it like a. I don't know if your department did ride-alongs, but you know, yes, with a ride exactly. along, you tell them you you stay here, let me go handle it, or you know, right. And then even yeah. with the ride-along, it's certain calls that once a dispatcher know you have a ride-along in, they're not going to give you the call. Yeah, no doubt. You know? Get, get out, get can't... out. Have, have somebody come pick you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know what? You can't. Um, you but you can't predict what you can run into. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You know, because they see that they see that beacon light and, and those colors and and see that they're gonna run. I'm quite sure you they'll flag you down and say, "Help!" You know, I got such and such. I mean, you know, I got this going on, or somebody's chasing me, or whatever. It doesn't matter. You're gonna have to just just take action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So that that's gonna that'll be very interesting to see. You know, I'm, I, it's just I'm, it amazes me that how you know when you make decisions or you say things like that, how you don't have people that that do that or have some people that's there that's been doing the job to help you along to to say this is right and this is wrong or you can't do that so let's think this over before you even voice the stuff and you get everybody on the bandwagon to say, oh that's a good idea, that's a good idea. Right. They should do the closed doors and, and sit behind and then some have some of the experts in that actually have been there and know some of the things that could happen and how it could benefit and how it cannot benefit and put people in further jeopardy. Yeah. Like I said, uh, hopefully that's, that's the course that will go down. You know, once everything calms down, everyone, you know, takes a breath and, mm-hmm. and, you know, hopefully that'll happen. But right now it's just, it's just crazy right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, what what was kind of like the, the most gratifying part of your job when you, when you were working on the department? I think the most gratifying job was working with a, a lot of different great people. That was, you know, great people who, you know, had compassion to help people. And that was on the job that, you know, for, a, like I say, the, the, their why was in line with the position. And they just wanted to learn and just, just do, you know, what they, what they came to do. That was the most gratifying, just meeting so many very nice people that said, hey, I'm with you, whatever you need me to do, or I'm here and it's not about, you know, the, the long hours or I'm not complaining because, you know, I, I we, we've been here too long or I want to go and do or they're not being selfish and not mm-hmm. looking about for just themselves. That was gratifying, just meeting some uh, great people, so many great people. Yeah. And what about now that you're retired? What's what's the most gratifying part of that? That I can turn around and reach out and help and that my reputation that I had on the department that they still, you know, give you know, they still look at look at to me and they'll ask me questions 
or send me messages or when I see them out, you know, they, you know, just remember how, um, how I benefit or some of the, some of the things that I've told them. And it's been a funny just to run into somebody and say, remember when you told me this and that, you know, you were right in that point, you know? And, and so that, that's gratifying for me. And it's just to see also some of those people that I said that were in line with the job, just watching them grow and just move up and do different things. That's Definitely. been great. Yeah. Yeah. What about on, on the flip side, back when you were working, what, what was the, one of the more challenging parts of the job? The more challenging part was the undervaluing, you know, people who they were, as far as maybe the upper, some of the upper management, you know, they, they, you know, they took the test, they became uh, an official, but they didn't, um, it, it wasn't really something that they should have did. They should have learned the job a little bit more. So of course now they actually get the rank, uh, the lieutenant or, or, the, or the captain or sometimes the commander and they're wearing that, those bars and the, the eagles and every whatever it makes them, okay. and they're not they're not helping you or they're not helping anyone. They're just barking down orders and doing different things. So they're pretty much managing and not being leaders. Yeah. And so that was to me that was a, you know I just had I you know I had experiences with that where of course like I mentioned earlier you can do the job well and run circles around them. But because they hold the title, they don't want to listen to you or they undervalue you and they'll say, and then of course, some of them know you've done that, you know, like you've been in, just say you went, you were a school resource officer. You've been in school, you know, you dealt with your children, you know how to communicate with them. But then you get that official that comes in because the position was open, they get it as a sergeant or lieutenant. And they're telling you how to do things and you know it's not going to work, mm -hmm. but they don't want to hear your piece or what your, your advice to give them or just they come together collectively or they're not utilizing your skills because they don't want you to outshine them or they don't want to look bad or they don't want to um, to like, bring you on and help you help you move up. So that was the, right. some of the dissatisfying, you know, some of the things that I, I kind of struggled with and didn't care for when yeah. I was there. How about now that you retired? What's, what's the most challenging part of your day now? Uh, can I be honest? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> 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 kind of wake up when you want to. Yeah. yeah wake yeah. up when I want to <laughs> and you schedule things and, and, and it'd be, you know, Dale, when I, when I was about to retire, of course, throughout the years, I've, I worked, like I told you, I worked for secret service. So I worked with them for five years, but I left my retirement there because when I went over, I was like, okay, let's do this. And if I don't, because the agents put that like, oh, you could always come back. You know, they almost, you know, waved me out, almost crying at the door for me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to leave this open. So I never took my retirement out of the federal government. So throughout the years, my plan was to go back and build on that retirement. Uh, you know, and, and just go back into and just maybe get another retirement from them as well, which I still can, but even get more percentage from them and more, you know, put more into it. So six months before retiring, 
I was like, okay, so it's time for me to start putting back into, you know, positions into the federal government. So I did that uh, probably my third, you know, when I got three months, because everything was like, oh, wow, I got six months. I got six months. And before I know it was three months. That's why I always tell people Mm -hmm. when you start doing that countdown, which you hear often, when you start doing that countdown, those times, that time goes by really quick. So, and if you look back now, if you've done 15 years or 17 years, you probably can remember, hey, when you were only, you only had two years on the job. And you blink oh, your eye, yeah, now definitely. you got, you got, and there's, of course, you even blink your eye more, you're going to be at your retirement point. Yep. So like I said, the three months came by quick. So I said, oh man, let me start putting in. So I put in and then it, you know, felt like it went into a black hole, but if finally I did get a federal agency to reach out to me and I went in for the interview and of course, everything was on my table. They hired me right on the spot. And, but I had to do a top secret background. Um, check. I mean, a top secret clearance. It was top secret clearance. So I had to do the background check. So I wasn't going to say, Hey, I'm going to pull my papers back and I'm going to, I said, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and retire when I'm supposed to. And I'll just, you know, sit at home, chill and, and, you know, get things together and take care of stuff until the background's over. Well, they kept going on and I started to love, you know, Hey, I don't have to be up at four in the morning to get to the job at six. Oh, I don't have to, you know, work, you know, the holidays because it's 4th of July and it's big detail. Oh, this is good. I mean, and I'm not being called and I don't have to call anyone just to take leave and get on the airplane to go on a trip. I said, I think I kind of like this, you know, I kind of, and then my key too was I started to really feel that, oh, I'm not no longer in the office or no longer around people who don't want to be there. So I said, I can't even imagine myself going back to, even if it's, you know, the federal government, going back into the office where I'm with someone who doesn't really want to be there. So they're complaining all the time about the job. And then they're sitting around not doing anything and I have to watch him or her, you know, they're on the internet or doing whatever they're doing for a minute. And then they go do a little bit and then they go to lunch and then, of course, they come back doing their complaining. I was like, you know what? I don't know if I want to go be a part of that. Right. So what can I do? And I started thinking of all the skills that I had that I could really take and use. So that's when I went on went on into business. And I was like, you know what? And I, and it's actually been pretty good, you know. And and that's that's where where everything birthed out to what I'm doing now. So. Go back to your question. I am enjoying every nah. minute of it, but I will not tell people don't, you know, retire and say you're going to be at home because everybody I know that retired saying, oh, I'm going to go and sit on a rocking chair and just rock and just watch the cars go up and down. That's not happening because nah. we're all too young to be doing that. First of all, I watch, you know, people who do all the projects they can around the house. They do everything, but now they're looking for a job. So what I say to people, prepare, you know, for what you want to do while you're working. So when you come out and and really figure out what you want to do, you know, you take a deep dive in it. So when you come out, you can actually be ready to go into that because just sitting there for that space, that one year, two years, I watch people who I never thought, and I'm just looking at them in amazement, like, 
you're working again. You were the one saying, hey, I'm not going to work for nobody else. I'm not going to do anything else. And then, of course, retirement, people don't understand your income's different. You know, um, is a we have a very, very good retirement system with D.C. So, is you know, but some people are only getting 50 percent of their income. Some people are getting 70. D.C., you can get all the way up to 80 percent of your income. So you have to, you know, you have to look at all those things. What's your retirement going to be like and see if that's going to fit your lifestyle. And if it doesn't fit your lifestyle, you actually have to either start downsizing and and, and changing lifestyle or you need to figure out what you're going to do afterwards. Yeah, definitely. No doubt on that. Got to plan ahead, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing? What do you like to do? Now that you retired, what, what what sorts of things do you like to travel? You like to play golf, play tennis. What, what are you doing on your off time? On my off time, I travel. Do you, do I, you have off time? Oh yeah, I have off time. <laughs> okay. I have off time. Right. I love to travel, so I, I travel a lot. Of course, with you know COVID nineteen, it slowed a lot of things down. So I don't really see in us being able to go too many places until that vaccine comes out. Um, so people are still traveling. I mean, I still have to go to certain places, um, you know, to out to the West Coast like you, because I have a son that's out there and, you know, is going to school. So I still have to go place like that. But that's the only thing I'll do if it's something that I have to do. As far as the vacation, I'll just stay local. I'll stay go somewhere where I'm driving. So I love to travel. And another thing I do, I like to exercise. So I'm a avid bike rider. I'm a, um, I was running at one point, but as I, my knees are deciding oh. to say, oh, no. Uh, you. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens. Yeah, yeah so yeah. my body's like, oh, no, I think you need to just go ahead and walk, you know, those miles. So I, I make sure I get a couple miles in a day and I, and I exercise. So I like that as well. Good for you. Yeah, get mm-hmm. those low-impact exercises in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got to stay healthy and busy. Got to yes. stay healthy and busy. All right. So, you know, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, you know, having some fun and, and spitting some knowledges for us so that we all know we got to plan ahead and, and what we got to do to plan the, the, the future of our career and mm-hmm. our life after our career. So appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You have a website or something that uh, that the people can reach you at for your for your business? Yes, I have. My website is liveproactively.com. So it's L-I-V-E-P-O-R, I'm going to say P-R-O-A-C. T-I-V-E-L-Y dot com. And then I also am on Facebook by my name, Pamela Burkett Jones. And then I'm on Instagram at uh, Live Proactively. And of course, I don't have a problem with giving my telephone number is 240-682-1343. All right. So somebody that's interested in your services, they they can contact you there. Appreciate that. All right. So, but thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I'm not going to let you go yet. You know, I got, I got a little game I like to play with my guests before I let them go, so let me get this set up with you. Wait, hang on, I got another call. Who this? Oh, hi, Mama. Who this? What kind of way is that to answer the phone? I'm sorry, Mama. This game is called Who This? Oh, okay, that is from Boys in the Hood, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. the name of the game. So uh, yeah. here we go. Your your category today is going to be black political figures. Black political figures. I'm going to play a sound clip, and mm-hmm. hopefully you can tell me who it is. All right. Uh-oh. Easy enough. <laughs> <laughs> it, it won't be too tough. All right. 
Mm-hmm. Not going to give you any, you know, uh, city councilman in Montana, nothing like that. These are going to okay. be prominent, <laughs> prominent black political figures. All right. So here's your first one. Reagan won the last time. Not by genius. My favorite, Martin Luther Reagan King. Reagan won when we were asleep. You think that was Martin Luther King talking yes. about the, talking about Reagan? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, Let me see. That... Reagan won the last time. Oh, Jesse Jackson. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Won Oops, can we edit this? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's your yes, your first one. You missed that one. But off to a bad start, but we'll, we'll get you going there. Hopefully this next one uh, will get you good here. So here's your next one uh, right here. Check this one out. I intend to fight for our students. And invest in them and understand this is not about a cost. It's about an investment. We cannot let them graduate with debt. Who do you think that is? Recent African-American. Oh, oh is it Camilla? Cam- 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 that, Cam- that is Kamala Harris. Uh-huh. I intend to fight for our students. <laughs> yes. And invest uh-huh. in them and understand this is not about a cost. It's about an investment. We cannot let them graduate with debt. All right, you one for one. All right, so you you got the okay. hang of it now. All right, here's your, here's your next one. Uh, figure number three. I am where I am today because the army takes care of its own. Who do you think that is? Oh, you gotta give me more. Oh my gosh, that was it. Um, wait a minute, wait a minute. Army takes care of its own. Oh gosh, is that uh and Colin Powell? Yeah, that would be Colin Powell. Uh, I am where I am today because the army takes care of its own. Yeah, see, you remember because he said army, right? Yeah, because I yeah. didn't really think about it at first. I was like, yeah. okay, wait a minute. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. So you got it. Uh, here's your next one. 40 years of worshiping golden images oh, in the no, in the wilderness. I didn't even have to finish that one up. Huh? That is, that is 40 correct. 40 years of worshiping golden images doing the bling bling in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so you do that one. All right, here's your next one. But perhaps most important, I think the declaration clearly shows that NATO intends to support the territorial integrity, independence, and sovereignty of Georgia. Georgia is, wait a minute, okay. Uh, she, now, not, that, not, not the state of Georgia, because she was talking about NATO, so that's. Okay. Georgia okay, okay, she's talking about the country. Okay, let me see. I don't know, and I'm gonna be mad when you show me. Ah, you want to take a stab at it? No, uh, uh-uh. uh, uh-huh. but perhaps most important, I think the declaration oh, clearly oh, shows okay. that NATO intends to support the territorial integrity, independence, and sovereignty of Georgia. Yes, Condoleezza Rice. Condoleezza uh-huh. Rice. Yes. Hey, you in DC? You should know that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 I should. Right. But I was like, okay. <laughs> All right, here's your, here's your next one. I stand here before you, not <gasps> as a prophet. Nelson Mandela. That is Nelson Mandela. Yes, it I is. I stand here <laughs> before you, not as a prophet, but as a humble servant. All right, yeah, you got that one. Okay. Uh, like I hope there's a prize at the end. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's> a, <laughs> pride, pride. That's your prize. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your next one. Yeah, today, they say if you are a conservative, then you are somehow an Uncle Tom. You're a horrible person. You're a demon. What a bunch of crap. What do you think that is? I can't get that one. Black, black conservative. 
Uh-uh, I don't I can't get that. Yeah, today they ben say, oh my God. if yeah, yeah, okay. you are a conservative, <laughs> then you are somehow an Uncle Tom, you're a horrible person, yeah, you're ben a demon. Carson. What a mm-hmm. bunch of crap. <laughs> did, did you recognize the voice after? No, no. I, I, didn't, I didn't recognize his voice. Right, you, you should get, we got two more, and you should, you should be able to get these. Here, here's your next one here. If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the oh, internet, oh come on, Barack Obama. Try <laughs> talking with one of them in real life. Yes, that is. If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the internet, try talking with one of them in real life. <laughs> All right, you got that one. Mm-hmm. And here, and here is your last one. Here we go. I want to get the language so right that everybody that is here exactly. will cry out. Yes, I'm black. I'm proud of it. I'm black and beautiful. I want to get the language so right that everybody here will cry out. Yes, I'm black. I'm proud of it. I'm black and beautiful. Yes. And I think you got more right than you got wrong. So we're going to call you the winner. (laughs) Thank goodness. Yes, you got mm-hmm. it. You got it. All right. Let me stop this here and we're back. Oh, right. All right. Yeah. That was fun. That yeah. was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you got it. You know, there was a couple there that stumped you, but you got it for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I appreciate you for coming on. And uh, it, w- it was fun. And yes. uh, yeah, we got some good information and uh, some good information about you. So I thank you. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Appreciate you. Yeah, we, we will. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what what um what uh, platforms are you on so I can listen to it? Because um, you didn't do this. Yeah, yeah. the uh, The podcast is on all the major podcast platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, mm-hmm. iHeartRadio, all of those. Um, this version, the uh, the video version, is on YouTube, so you can check that out. And then oh, there's okay, cool. yeah, and then uh, so that'll be that'll be in a little while. And then of course, like we talked about earlier, we've got the uh, the live version, uh, Black and Blue Live, that comes out. Uh, it's been coming out weekly now on the weekend, uh, Saturdays or Sundays. This Sunday is going to be coming out. So. Yeah, I'm on all those mediums. So check it out. Mm-hmm. Check I it love out. it. I love it. Right. What makes you do this? I would. That's what I want to ask you. What makes uh, re- you um... re- reverse the questioning here? Okay, uh, <laughs> I wanted to, uh, you know, just show are you and I still record recording no, the show. I, are you? I am. I am. Oh, I am. okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know. So let me answer this, and then and then we'll I'll hit stop there. But <laughs> but uh, you know, I wanted to uh, you know just show the people that uh, you know law enforcement is a worthy career. Um, for, for those, uh, minorities that, you know, for one, they're either indifferent or that don't, uh, you know, really don't have any love for the police, um, for law enforcement, they can, they can see that, you know, we, we are people just like them. And then maybe after seeing and hearing stuff like this, they can say, you know what, uh, maybe I can, I can do that. You know, these people are just like me. They look just like me. They talk just like me. Mm -hmm. Uh, they like the same things I like. And, uh, you know, and if I don't want to go in, in the law enforcement, at least I got that understanding and I, you know, we can, we can be on the same level and talk. So mm-hmm. and that was my motivation to this. That's good. That's yeah. good. And you know, and, and I really think, and that's why I wanted to know where you were, you know, where you do to, so I can play some of this to my, for my students, you know? Yeah. Cause right. I think this is, I mean, it would be great for them to see this and to really get to real talk to officers and not just, 
you know, mm-hmm. a counter with them, do a send them on a ride along and or go do a paper. They can actually talk to and heart to heart and hear what's going on. So this is good that you're doing this. And I, I really appreciate you for this. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. You be safe out there. Well, you know, COVID's not done yet. So wear your mask and, and wash your hands. All right. Yes, of course. All, of right. course. <laughs> all right. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye bye. All right, that was a dope conversation I just had with retired D.C. Metro Police Captain Pamela Burkett-Jones. If you enjoyed the conversation, make sure you go to the YouTube and smash that like button. And go to the major podcast platforms as well and do the same thing. My name is Dale. I'm the host of the Black and Blue Podcast. So till next time, y'all know what to do. Stay black in blue. I'll holla at you. Peace. This has been a major entertainment presentation.